Are you ready to create and grow the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. A bigger audience, more impact, and a new revenue stream. We'll show you how. I'm Jenny Barcelos. And I'm Sandy Connery. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 38 of the Soulful MBA podcast. Today's episode is called Analog. Now, I just want to pop in quickly and let you know that we had a little bit of a snafu with my audio during the recording of this episode. So we've done everything we could to fix the audio as best as we could, but it's not quite up to par compared to what you're used to hearing with our podcast. So please bear with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Jenny. It's different for us. We are drinking coffee and it's early in the morning. So we'll see how this one goes. I'm very excited that we're doing this early in the morning. This is a rare opportunity because we are usually shuttling children off to school, but we are enjoying the last little bit of summer vacation. So we're making good use of it, I think. Yeah, and so we're coming to you with this episode in sort of real time. This is this episode is going live next week. And we had batched the previous bit of episodes for the summer. And so this is kind of our re-entry into podcasting after taking a little bit of a holiday and some downtime. And so I think it's a perfect topic to come into after, Sandy, you've been out of a like, remote lake house, sort of off the grid for weeks. And what better, what better topic than analog to go into? Exactly. Yeah. It was really eye-opening to be out there. So we were in northern Ontario on an island and it had uh, cellular coverage, but no Wi-Fi. So I really, really, really had to cut down on the work I was able to do and the amount of connectivity that I had because I had to think about each. In Canada, the data is very expensive. So um, I was really, really careful about how much time I spent online and which I should be, you know, which you should be zero ideally in a holiday, but it it's just not the way when you run a software company. And it was so fascinating to me to see how those open spaces of time, um, you know, that existed in my day and I got to enjoy. I did a lot of writing. I got lit a, uh, a lot of reading. And it was really beautiful. And it made me kind of come back and say, you know what, I need to put a check on the amount of time I spend online. And we spoke about that, Jenny, in the last couple episodes, specifically Sanity, about our attention and how it's so taken and by all these apps that want us to, to, you know, to suck us in. Although having said that, the first night that we came back, I watched a bunch of Netflix, which just totally defeats everything I just said. But there's an, a, you know, a new level of awareness of like, I don't want to live, change my screen. And there's, there's all these amazing, beautiful world out there and people out there that I need to reconnect with. And so that was kind of what we were talking about when we decided to focus this episode on things that are analog. Yeah. No, I think that is so true. And, you know, in that episode Sanity, which I can't remember what episode it is, but... I think it was 35. Yeah, 35. We talked explicitly about social media because we had run our third social media sort of challenge. And this episode is way less about social media and more about how having analog relationships can help you in your personal life to have more balance, but also in your business. And so we're going to dive into a broader conversation than we did in Sanity because social media is only one tiny element of what we do in front of a screen, and there's a lot more to it. 
So this episode was really inspired by a book called Revenge of the Analog or Revenge of Analog, which um, is going to be the hustle for this week. We'll, we'll mention it again at the end. But that book was really inspiring this conversation as well because it seemed to reflect our own experiences, especially in the summer where we've taken some time away from our screen and in, in sort of allowed more creativity around the way we think about our business and our planning for the next you know, quarter or two quarters to finish out the year, and then also what's coming for our company in 2018. That sounds, not too sounds so strange to say that. I know, it's hard for me to even think of saying that year. <laughs> so, Sandy, let's just talk a little bit about some specific observations that you've had. What about being offline and away from a screen? So what transformed in you, and what were some habits that you started to develop when you're out at this lake Mm -hmm. that you want to incorporate back into your life? Well, I think the first thing was I didn't, and I'm I'm typically pretty good at this, but I did not check my phone or um, my computer for messages at all when I first woke up. And I took the book, um, Julia Cameron's An Artist's Way out to the lake with me and started reading that. And I began to do the um, morning pages, which I cannot count how many people have told me that I need to read that book and look at her work and do morning pages. And so I started that process. I'd go and take a coffee down to the dock and sit there in um, right on the edge of the water and write for, you know, and her, the way she describes it. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, morning pages is a practice that she suggests that we do to open up that creativeness in us. Um, so that means you do every morning, first thing you do is write stream of consciousness writing. So it's three pages. You don't read it. You don't ever read it. You just write whatever comes out. You get all the stuff out on the on your page so that for the rest of the day, you can do what really matters and you're not stuck worrying about things or, you know, harping on little tiny things that kind of eat at you and take your attention away. You get it down on the page and you let it go. So I would do that every morning. And it was like every time I spoke with you, Jenny, I would say, oh, you know, out in my journaling, this came, this idea came. And so we had some conversation out of that. So I really loved that practice. And I think I'm going to continue that. And again, it's pen to paper, right? It's not typing anything on a screen. It's moving to wherever I need to be outside or in a you know, cozy little part of my house um, where I can sit and write with no distractions. And that was a cool experience to 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 work. Uh, I mean, we work pen and paper a lot, but I work pen and paper in front of a computer a lot too. So just to step right away and uh, start to write. You know, I the only experience I have personally with morning pages is just from writing retreats I've attended. It's always woven in to mm-hmm. any kind of writing retreat. The last writing retreat I went to this spring, we started every morning with morning pages. And I think it just sort of warms up your chops as a writer and as a thinker. And like you said, you don't look at what you wrote. You don't sit there and analyze it. You don't try to edit it in any way. You just sort of let it get out. And it allows, I think, your conscious mind and your subconscious mind to process whatever is backed up so Mm -hmm. that you can then have clear thinking going forward when you actually need to be intentional about what you're putting out there. So I also, I've not read the book. It's also been recommended to me by a bunch of folks, but I think that's a great habit to get into. And one of the resources we were looking at, I can't remember which one in preparing for this episode, was talking about how the pen is an extension of the human body. And so there's this idea that when you're writing with a pen that you're actually using your body, there's a physicality to it that's different than typing. 
And I loved that imagery. I loved thinking about it. It's almost like you're channeling part of yourself through your body and in a way that you don't get from typing. So encourage folks. I mean, I think a lot of our community is very comfortable with pen and paper. Um, we're maybe at the extreme with the amount of time we're sitting in front of devices and working on devices, but I don't know. I don't know. Those of you who have nine to five and are in front of a desk. Yeah, I think it's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It sort of takes over your mind. So, yeah, I don't know. And, you know, it just makes me think about this book that we're talking about, Revenge of the Analog. We read this great article, a book review of that book by Bill McKibben. And um, Bill McKibben is like a, he was a, a writer for the New Yorker, and he's one of the preeminent thinkers around climate change and climate justice. So I know Bill from my other line of work that I that I did for most of my career and most of my life. He started an organization called 350.org to stop the atmospheric spread of carbon pollution. But Bill's also an accomplished thinker and writer in a, in a lot of other topics as well. And he wrote this really wonderful book review for this book. And he talked about in that book review that we have screens as mediators. So instead of interacting directly with one another in community and as humans, that we now have these screens that mediate between us and every everyone and everything else that we do, and that that's actually a really profound situation. It, it has it affects us in ways that we maybe don't don't even realize. And he says Excel, our accelerating disappearance into the digital ether now defines us. We are the mediated people whose contact with one another and the world around us is now mostly veiled by a screen. We threaten to rebel just as we threaten to move to Canada after an election. (laughs) But we don't. The current is too fierce to swim to shore. So I think that that pretty much describes the situation where the current is too fierce, like the cultural current and the expectations of society that we're plugged in and connected are so strong and overwhelming that it's really hard. I mean, it was really hard for me the first few days you were gone, Sandy, that you were not immediately available to me at the push of a button. Hmm. Like, I am so used to you. Like, I, it's like this, it, it feels addictive. Like, I, I mean, I'm just being very honest here because it, I don't know if you, there's a sense, like, I wasn't even gone. I was still here. I have my fiber optic internet cable connecting my home. Like, I, I wasn't anywhere off the grid, but just because you, this person that I need, I feel I need, was farther out of reach. And I could text you and call you, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like you were I unavailable. Gone, gone. I was just kind of, right. But still, like, you, it was not, I couldn't have in Slack at the touch of a button send you an emoji or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, send you an article to read or, or, or whatever I felt like I needed to send you. And then it made me question, do I really need to bother Sandy with this right now? Do I really need to give this to her? Is this really, can this not wait until we talk on the phone next? Because she's drinking coffee doing morning pages on the dock, so don't bug her. I'm like, but I need her. <laughs> so it just, it just like reinforced. And I feel like this happens every summer with us. Yeah. That like you go, you have this like brilliant idea to go somewhere off the grid. And it sort of rebalances the energy yeah, it in does. our business and in our like relationship with one another as business partners and friends like it, it's it, it's like a reset mm-hmm. so anyway I think <laughs> I think that it's clear and then I wanted to say that before we dive into sort of the business part of this conversation there's another observation you shared with me as you were prepping for this podcast about your son 
and his new fascination with vinyl and records. So he's obviously, he's 12, so he's grown up with a, um, he's got his own phone just recently, and he listens to all his music through iTunes, as most of the kids do. And, you know, it's instant. Like, you download an album or a song that you heard, and you instantly get it. And my husband and I are constantly saying, as I'm sure many parents do, you know, when we were kids, we'd have to, like, save up for the album and go to the store and buy it and bring it back and play it. And then he never really got it. And then, of course, uh, as what's the trend now is vinyl and record playing. And he came out, actually, it was just yesterday, he said, I want to go, I want to get into records. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. Like my my husband has, we've got a, a, a record player downstairs. And uh, so we went to the record store to look at records. And he was just appalled at the prices. Like he was looking at a Jack White album that was like double album that was $50. And he, you know, he's used to like little iTunes, you know, $2.99 for a song or whatever. And um and, and so he, of course, he didn't buy it because he was, you know, he's like, do I really want to save up for that? And it just, it struck me like how cool this is that he wanted to explore this, you know, coolness, which is to us is so like ancient technology. Um, and in that article, um, they, I, th- there was, a, I don't have the quote in front of me, but basically Jack White was quoted as having said like records have like weight and feeling and, you know, you need, you're on your knees, you're watching this record spin, it's hypnotic, it's like sitting around a campfire. And there is nothing in technology or digital that does that, that has that same kind of feeling. And so... I'm definitely going to encourage this sort of, you know, interest in analog uh, music because for that reason. So, yeah, it was it was just like all this, all these sort of things kind of came together for us to sort of have this idea of of, of a podcast on analog. Yeah. So David Sachs, the author of Revenge of Analog, says in the book, records are large and heavy, require money, effort, and taste to create and buy and play and cry out to be thumbed over and examined. Because consumers spend money to acquire them, they gain a genuine sense of ownership over the music, which translates into pride. Yeah, right. By contrast, nothing is less cool than data. <laughs> so it's really, it's you know, it's a physical, tactile, visceral experience. And it just reminded me, that passage really reminded me of something, that a blog post that I read last week by Austin Cleon that was called Why I Love My Paper Dictionary. And we've also talked about Austin Cleon before on the podcast, and I love him. He's one of my very favorite thinkers and writers. And he talks about why he, he keeps a paper dictionary in his home and how a few years ago he went out and bought like the biggest, nicest dictionary he could find to have in his house because mm. of the serendipity that happens when he's going to look up a word and he notices the other words on the page. And he talked about he... He said, for example, do you know that patina comes after patient? So one word about enduring time, the other describing its residue. Mm, like he, it's that's just so cool. Opportunity, yeah. yeah, to find something unexpected or to, to know the context of something. And I can just think about, so I also love a paper dictionary and a paper thesaurus, but I also had a fascination with records when I was a kid and a teenager going into thrift shops. And I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, so I go into these weird record shops in Berkeley or in San Francisco and be thumbing through these dollar record piles and looking for mm-hmm. something new and exciting. And I would often buy records just because of the cover. Like, I want to know what this is. And when you're going to intentionally buy a song or an album that you already know about online, you lose that sense of serendipity of like, what else could I find? You, you already have zeroed in and decided what you want. So you miss out. Yeah, the discovery isn't there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And to me, the discovery is the most fun. I think like I would go spend $10 on, you know, get 10 records from the Goodwill or wherever. And I would go home and listen and discover new things and think about what I was listening to. And just like pouring over the artwork and the, the text and the copy on the album, right? And seeing who's on in that band and who did the artwork and like the story and the little things that they would put, like hidden little, yeah. you know, Easter eggs in the in the images and stuff. And I, yeah, I love that. And that's totally gone. Yeah. And, you know, I have all the records my parents had and um, my, for those of you, well, all of you don't know, except for Sandy, that my, my dad was a musician in San Francisco in the 60s. Um, and so he was connected to a lot of bands. I'm not going to start name dropping, but he, that's a, that's a part of my family history. And I inherited, I sort of like stole at some point in my youth, I stole all my parents' records. I just co-opted them because they had moved on to CDs. And, um, and those records, I've never let go of them. I've moved them back and forth across the country over and over and over because they're, I can, they're, Lauren, right? Like I can see the ones mm-hmm. that my parents listen to a lot or that my dad listened to a lot. I grew up like instead of having a couch in our living room, we had a drum set and I grew up like hiding in the bass drum on a pillow. And I, it just, my dad would play his drums along to these records. And so I have like this, it's like this very rich experience associated with something where it, if it had just been a file on a computer, it means nothing. Yeah. And so, you know, it's nice to listen to, but you don't, you don't get all of the texture and the story that goes along with it. Yeah, that's very cool. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is a tool designed to help you teach, train, and coach from anywhere on the planet. If you're a wellness professional looking to take your business to the next level, you can learn more at namastream.com. Okay, business, business. Well, I started um, yesterday back into my routine and I went to my networking meeting at Calgary XX and I heard the most amazing story. And this has sort of prompted us to, yes, we're going to absolutely do this episode. And um, it's one of the members stood up and told a story. And I think it's worth conveying to all of you. He is our insurance member. He does home and um, auto insurance, which, you know, in and of itself is not that exciting. But the way that he runs his business is incredible. And he has, for 17 years, grown his business um, intentionally by 10% every year, like consistently 10% growth. And he will actually halt growth or say no to business if it's going to push him over the 10%. So he tracks us monthly. And um, I find that in itself fascinating. But he refuses. The way that he's consistently grown by 10% over the last 17 years is by staying offline, by having no Facebook ads, by having a website, yes, but there's no ability to get a quote or to chat with someone online or about your situation, nothing. It's just simply... um, an about website. And the way he does it is by the phone and by word of mouth. And he actually shared a story where someone had phoned him, cold called him and said, I'm looking for insurance. And then he said, how did you find us by Google? And he said, anyone from Google who's found us from Google, waste my time. And this guy said, I'm not going to. And then John said, yeah, he absolutely wasted my time. So he doesn't even like people finding him on organic searches. Like he, he, he doesn't want even that kind of business. He wants word of mouth referral business only. And so he uses the phone exclusively and networking and relationships and friendships and so on, family and friends. So I just thought that was so fascinating that this day and age that we are all trying so hard to automate and not do work and to 
maybe not do work, but, you know, minimize the contact we have with people or get all these inbound sales by email marketing and automate, automate, automate. And here this guy is doing growth that most of us would kill for by choosing not to go online. Yeah, I found this fascinating when you told me the story yesterday. And a part of it really appeals to me. So I think that there's there's a balance here, right? So I think what he does is he has an online presence, so he legitimizes himself, and then he is he's a service based business owner. So he the work that he does requires human interaction. I, I I think any insurance. I mean, you can obviously buy insurance without that, but I wouldn't personally want to buy insurance from just plugging in my numbers into you know a web app and then. It's spitting something out. I always have questions about insurance, as I as I think most people do. You want to understand the coverage you're getting, right? And you want to be able to talk to somebody that you trust, and that you because if your house burns down or your business gets sued, you want to understand what you're covered for, right? So it's, I think anyway, that's my PSA. It's a good practice to want to talk and ask questions to your insurance agent. So he is doing something that I see a lot of service-based business owners doing really well which is requiring human touch. So uh, another friend of ours, I was just picking her brain about how she runs her very full practice um, as a service-based business owner. And she told me, you cannot buy a package with her unless you do a 15-minute phone call. There's no button to buy anything online. Even if she meets you on the street and meets you at a cocktail party or at an event and you're all ready to sign up, she still requires that 15-minute enrollment call to make sure it's a good fit, to make sure the price is going to work for that person and the timing, and that she, she is absolutely 100% committed to that 15-minute enrollment call at a minimum. I've seen the success that she has in her business by incorporating this analog business practice into what she's doing. So I think for any of you who are service-based folks who are selling something that involves your time and interaction with them, that having a reliable point of contact with you prior to purchase is a really smart idea. So she's essentially doing the same thing as your friend in the insurance industry, and I think that works really well. Now, I'm not going to tell those of you who are selling purely digital products. So if you're selling an ebook, for example, please do not get on the phone with everyone prior to selling them an ebook. That doesn't work. You're selling something that is meant to be consumable through the internet. And, but you, you know, you want to think about it. Like if you're selling a high end, like a 12 week boot camp or something, even though it's an online based boot camp, but say it has some kind of community and say it's more than $500 or $1,000, you maybe want to think about doing an enrollment call. Cause the other thing is, and I, I bet this would be true for, for your colleague as well, Sandy, is that I think those enrollment calls really increase your conversion rates, right? So that's what I've seen. Oh, yeah. So once once you get somebody on a call like that, it's really easy to close them. Like it's way easier yeah. than sending them email marketing campaigns. Yeah. So if you're looking to grow your business quicker and you want to be more efficient about the time it takes to scale, you want to think about incorporating some of these analog practices which are really just practices that up until the last decade were considered normal <laughs> in business. Um, you want to- I think it's less than a decade. I think it's like- Four years. Yeah. Yeah, right? But I think what, there's this idea that, and, and we do that. Like, let's just be clear so we can be sort of honest about what we do too. We very recently, very, very recently only started having folks 
purchase our software without ever talking to us. For the first couple of years of this company's existence, even though we're selling something that's exclusively digital and that is not actually service-based, we had very high touch with all of our prospective customers. And we still continue to for anyone who wants that kind of point of contact. If anyone needs to talk to us prior to purchasing the software, we are happy to hop on a phone call with them, right? So what's really interesting is I think for any of you to think about how can you incorporate these analog components into your digital strategy. So, you know, there's a, a certain point at which it makes sense to be digital, right? So, like, maybe it's collecting leads, maybe it's having a social media presence and a web presence that's drawing attention, maybe it's showing up on page one of Google. Who knows? Like, you think about what your goals are based on what you're selling. But then at what point can, can you add a point of contact with yourself or with your team that will then allow the sales process to be finalized and the conversion to happen because it's a really smart idea. Yeah. One of the quotes we walked away that we loved from the ConvertKit conference back in July was um, by Nicole Walters, which was automate your systems, but not your people. So if you're dealing with your clients, that's when you want to get on the old-fashioned phone and talk to them, but automate the payment system and automate the you know thank you email when they finish paying or whatever. But talk to them, right. like just talk to them. And I think that's a really big message because we try to do everything online and, you know, hands off, let it all be automated and let the money pour in. And, and I think that's a bad model. Yeah. She always said, and well, I've heard her say, put your phone, if you're going to email me, put your phone number in there. I want to be able to call you when I'm driving my kids somewhere. I'm going to go pick up my kids. Like it's, I, I might not email you back, put your phone number in there and you might get a phone call from me. And I think that that is such a, a smart idea. And we do that as well, Sandy. I know you spend a lot of time on the phone with our, with our clients and our prospective clients. And I think that that's just because we're trying to be human. We are human. We would want to be able to talk to somebody also, right? So don't call, you know, like don't request a phone call to ask questions that you can easily see the answers to in a frequently asked question portion of a website, right? Like you want to, as, a, as sort of like the other side, you want to make sure that when you have an opportunity to talk to somebody and you're taking their time, you want to make sure that you're asking a question that isn't obviously available to you from just looking at a web page. But I think that, you know, so it's a balancing act, right? Like be respectful of people's time, but also don't be afraid to reach out. And if you want to do business with someone or some, some company, make, you know, you want to have a feel for whether they're going to be responsible to you. So anyway, I think that that is the big point is like, where can you find a way to add high touch into your business model? Um, and you may think, I don't have time for this. I need to be growing my business. I need to be writing email marketing campaigns. But you know what? You might grow your business a little bit faster if you just allow for some higher touch with the existing prospect list that you already have available to you. So, um, and I just wanted to say one more point before we dive into wrapping up with Joy and Hustle, which is about community and the role that community can have in the online space and in the offline space. So we've seen this really interesting phenomenon taking place over the summer with a lot of big business Facebook groups have closed. And there's a, there are a lot of reasons and strategies behind that. But I, I think it's really telling that there's only a certain point that you can get in a Facebook group, like there's only a certain amount of community that you can build exclusively through a Facebook group or whatever other a Slack group or whatever, whatever other kind of online tool that you're involved in or using to build community around your business. And I felt this way for a long time. Like if there's a sense of hands off and distance and this sort of disposable nature of relationships that happen online. So 
Sandy, you and I are part of a lot of different Facebook groups and communities. We met through an online community for a course that we were both involved in. And I think that the, that, that the difference between what works and what lasts and what succeeds in building your relationships online versus what fails and gets shut down is when there is an offline component to an online community. So for us, we really connected and met when we were in the same room together in Colorado Springs, right? But I, I don't think it has to be necessarily in the same exact room or the same place. It can, I think phone calls are also a way to do that. But I think what ways can you find to take these online relationships or the online community that you've built around your business, how can you take that to the next level so that it actually solidifies into a real community? Because a Facebook group can just get closed in an instant, and then what was that? Right? Like you're not really connected to those people if you've never had a conversation with them. And so I, I don't know. We, we saw that happen too with, with our own live event where all of a sudden there are real relationships now after that, like not just with us and our clients, but with our clients with each other. And that is irreplaceable at prices. So where in your business can you find a way to have meetups in person or can you, can you put on a live event and can you do a retreat? I, I think that that is the key to taking the work that you've done and invested in building this great online community and making it turn into something that is an everlasting resource for you and for your community members. Yeah, I don't think there's a topic that we've discussed more is about our like improving our community online and how do we solidify that. And I think we're still trying to figure it out. I don't think there is a great answer if it's purely digital, purely online. So it's ongoing. Yeah, ongoing, but but start to think about it. And I think we should do another episode when we, when we crack the code, Sandy. Okay, ready for joy and hustle? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we've already talked about it a little bit. But the joy, this is your Sandy. Yeah, the joy is The Artist's Way by Juliet Cameron. Um, for even if you don't consider yourself an artist in that fine arts sense, I think we're all artists and all creative people when we are building our businesses. And you need the creativity to think of new products and new marketing ideas and, you know, different ways to pick up the phone and reach out to people, whatever. We all need that creativity. And I think she has a beautiful way of pulling it out of us. One of the tools is morning pages, as we discussed. So I would, most people I think have read it. I feel like I'm one of the last people on earth to read it. But if you're also one that hasn't, I would encourage you to pick up a copy and go through the exercises because it really is, it really is um, magical what it does to you. Or if you're one of those people that did it like five years ago, I, that, my writer friends do it just over and over and over again. So they just go through the book and they get committed back into Morning Pages as a practice over and over again. And I think Morning Pages is something that from what I've seen from my friends, it's really good to have accountability with. So this is another way to build community with maybe an online friend. You could pair up and decide to do Morning Pages together and go through the artist's way together and check in with each other so you know that you have somebody else who will hold you accountable to making sure that you make that part of your morning routine. Okay, and then the hustle for this week is The Revenge of Analog, Real Things and Why They Matter, and that's the book that we were referencing by David Sachs. And I highly recommend this book. I think it is um, it's a quick read, and I think it will help you to think through the reasons that analog relationships and experiences are important to you and your life and business. And um, we'd love to hear from those of you who have read this book or who take us up on this challenge to read it. We'd love to hear the ways that analog is making a comeback in your life or making a difference in your business. Like board games. Who's playing board games? 
oh my gosh, I play a lot of board games because I have five-year-olds. Yeah, so do we. I love it. But I didn't think of that as analog. Like it never, I'm like, oh yeah, that's analog. That's like tactile, little moving men across the board. Yeah, I used to, in high school, that was my, we were super geeky. For those of you who probably didn't already realize that, I'm like super geek. And we used to take board games to coffee shops. Like that's what we did instead of going to parties. We would like get three or four or five or six of us and we'd go have coffee at these coffee shops in the Bay Area and bring board games with us. Well, that's, see, you were ahead of the trend because that's what's happening right now See, all I over. Just, I was just like 15, 20 years ahead of the trend, Sandy. <laughs> Nobody would have thought it was cool then, but yeah. now it is now it's cool. super trendy. So. <laughs> all right, folks, we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Soulful MBA is not just the name of our podcast. It's also the name of our premium business course and community. If you are a wellness entrepreneur who dreams of growing your business online, but you're not clear on your next steps and you wish you had someone to guide you, then we've got something for you. Get Soulful MBA's first syllabus and three free video lessons by heading over to soulful.mba slash sample.